0: This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Nehemiah chapter five. For the past several weeks, other than last week when we celebrated our two year anniversary, we have been in this book of Nehemiah, going through it uh, verse by verse, section by section. And uh, it's been really good uh, for me to be able to study this week as well as to be part of this series. Uh, Because when we think about Nehemiah, we think, oh, man, we're going to rebuild the wall. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be good. It's going to be encouraging. It's going to be uplifting. It's going to be all these great things. And then a couple of weeks ago, we got into where Nehemiah was facing some opposition. And we're going to get there and talk more about that this morning. So the first couple of chapters... As just a a refresher, we saw where Nehemiah realized that God had called him to rebuild the wall. Now, why? Because it had been destroyed. Remember, this is the Israelites, and the Israelites, they had a roller coaster type history of where they drew close to God and then things were good, and then they would turn and look and worship other idols and other things, and then they would rebel, and then they would turn back, and then they, and it was always a roller coaster type ride. And I hope and pray that our church and you and your Christian walk, you don't have that kind of walk. You're riding, and and yes, there might be some good times and bad times, but from this point to this point, you can see a steady incline and growth in your Christian walk with God. Well, the Israelites, they just didn't have that. They were always back and forth and back and forth. But Nehemiah called, uh, excuse me, God called Nehemiah to, re- he rose him up to rebuild the wall. And we saw that in the first couple of chapters where ne- this burden was placed on Nehemiah's heart. He realized this is what God had called him to do. He was the king's cupbearer. So it was a dangerous job, but he had uh, a, a, an audience with the king, and he went back to the king and asked the king if he um uh, take, go back and rebuild the wall and the king gave him permission to do so and gave him pr- pr- provisions to do so and so he went back and then in chapter 3 we see where Nehemiah had gathered the people up and rallied them and they began rebuilding the wall and then what happens when we as Christians know what God has called us to do, we are doing God's work what happens? We automatically face some type of opposition at the end of chapter 4 Uh, where we had the guy, Nehemiah had rallied the men together and they had spears and swords and they were ready for the attack. They were ready for the outside nations who did not like what was going on, who wanted to put a stop to it, and they were going to come in and attack. And so they were there ready to defend their land, ready to defend the wall. And so the workforce all of a sudden was cut in half to where men were standing with a spear or with a sword at all times and then with, in one hand and then the other hand they were trying to work and so then we get to chapter 5 and Nehemiah is still facing opposition but this is a different kind of opposition, this is not from outside, this is an internal opposition so think of it this way if I have uh, an issue with a friend or a co-worker at work if I have an issue and then I come home I can deal with that Everything's still good. But if I have an issue at home, if I have a problem there, and then I try to go and work, I can't focus. It's just something about knowing that when I get home, there's an issue or there's a problem or there's a difficult thing, and there's some disunity within the family, and I have trouble being able to concentrate and focus at work. And this is what Nehemiah was dealing with. All of a sudden, within the Israelites, within the family there, there was disunity. And please hear me. We are not preaching this because I look at our church at Keystone and think there are some issues here today that we need to address. I don't think that there is something that we need to discuss as a family and settle and make right and bring light before God and have a repentance and and make things right between us so we can make things right between us and God. It's not that. But because we pick a book And God leads us through that book. It just happens to be that today we are talking about an internal family opposition. So please hear my heart there. Um, When we look at this and we see this and we think, how in the world do we face that type of internal disunity and opposition? How do we do that, but yet we still... Stay close to God. How, how do we deal with that? And we get to see Nehemiah and how he handled that. And I love Nehemiah because he didn't pull any punches. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I want us to understand that Jesus taught us how to treat one another. Jesus taught us what? We all call it the golden rule, right? You know, uh, treat others the way they, we want them to treat us, right? We're supposed to treat others a certain way. Well, Jesus taught us, he told his disciples, he said, listen, People are going to know, the world is going to know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another and the way that you serve one another. And what did he do? He got down on his knees and he washed their feet. He became their servant. And he showed them by not just by talking, but by putting it into practice. And when he rose up, he said, as I have loved you, this is how you are to love one another. Church, the world is supposed to look at us And realize there's something different about them. There's something different about them, not uh, by just the way we talk, but the way we actually walk, by the way we actually live, by the way we treat one another. And I just kind of wonder, if you look at yourself internally, you look around at you and your family, you look around here at our church, are we recognized as being different? Are we recognized as people that can handle opposition, difficulty, and we still love each other, we still get along, and we still treat each other completely differently than the way the world treats? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So in Nehemiah chapter 5, you know what? Before we go any further, let's just stop and pray, all right? So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, right now that you would just speak through me. Father, I pray, Lord, Lord, you would just take away my faults, my inadequacies. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that every word that comes out of my mouth, Lord, that, Lord, you would just speak through me, that, Father, you will work in our hearts, Lord, that there are things in your word that we need to hear today. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, for this time, Lord, that you will bless it, Lord, that you will be honored, that you will be glorified. And that, Father, whether or not we have any issues that we need to discuss at the church, Lord, I know, Lord, that with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that there are things that you need to teach us today because you have designed today and you have brought us here, Lord, not by chance, not by accident. You have foreseen it, Lord, and you know all the actions and all the events that are going to take place today. And, Father, we are sitting here under the sound of my voice preaching and teaching your word, Father, for a reason. And Lord Jesus, whatever it may be, I pray, Lord, that you will bring it to light, that you will work on our hearts, Father, and that if there's something that we need to deal with, repent of, that, Father, you will help us to take care of that today. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. This past year, um, back in December, right around Christmas, New Year's, I look at Mandy, and maybe some of you do this. Maybe you've done this for years. But it's something that I have never done. It's something that was new for us in our family. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? God has really burdened my heart that we need to have a verse that we're going to claim for this year. And so for the verse for this year, we claim Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, we claim Joshua nine. And so Joshua nine says, is it on the screen? Not on the screen. It's all good. Joshua 1.9 is a great verse. It says for, this is where God is talking to Joshua as Joshua has taken over for Moses. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. He said, don't be afraid. Don't fear or be dismayed or discouraged for I'm going to be with you wherever I go. And as I told Manny this verse, she loves that verse. She claims that as her life verse. I said, this is the verse that God has put on my heart. We're going to claim this as as a couple and as a family. This is our verse for this year. A couple of days later, I went back to her and I said, you know what? You know that verse that we talked about? She said, yeah. I was like, you know what? That's a powerful verse. It's an encouraging verse. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's great. I mean, be strong and courageous. I said, you know what? It scares me. And she laughed, she's like, what do you mean it scares you? I said, well, think about it. It says be strong and courageous, but right after that it says, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged, for I'm gonna be with you wherever you go. I said, that scares me. And she didn't understand why, and little did we know the events that were gonna take place right after that. We had no clue, but I was scared to the point of when, I don't know about you, but I, all I listened to is contemporary Christian music. That's me. If you listen to something else, then we've got an altar right here. We can come and you can, we can pray with you right now. <laughs> but for me, I listen to only contemporary Christian music. Yes, Josh is first in line right here. <laughs> we're gonna lay hands and pray. And so it got to the point to where I was so terrified of what I didn't know, what may happen, to where there were a couple songs. If it came on the radio, I changed the station. I didn't want to listen to it casting crowns has a song uh, i will praise you in this storm mercy me has another song jesus bring the rain And i was like lord i'm changing this song i don't want to sing it because jesus i want to claim you but lord i don't want the rain and then the other song would come on at different times and lord i want to praise you but lord i don't want to deal with the storm and it terrified me and as many of you know our story wasn't long after that carson wasn't able to walk And she was in a wheelchair, and she was confined. And a testimony to her, her spirits were always good. I mean, she was always smiling, always laughing, always joking. But she needed help to go to the bathroom. She needed help to go do anything. She couldn't get up and down, period. And it was just a struggle. It was a hard time. And little did we know that we were going to have to go all the way to Italy to get this treatment, even though we live in the city of medicine. But all through all of that, it was a complete god thing and it was a complete reminder from the very beginning of god said hey be strong and courageous you don't need to fear you don't need to worry because i am with you and he has proven himself and he has done that through you church so thank you again for what you've done for our family and how you have loved us she's walking now um the other day uh we were moving some furniture in and out tyler and i well i was tyler was just kind of there And as we were moving stuff out, Carson was holding on to one of the dogs, and one of them ran out because we had the door propped open. And we're standing there, and as we put the the couch down, I see Carson run past me. And it wasn't like a, a very fast run, but she was running. And it was just instinctively that she did that. And, of course, afterwards, she was hurting. Her joints were hurting. She was in pain. But I was like, what? You just ran? It was incredible to see. And so yeah, there's been times to wear at night, to wear. instead of me having to carry her all the way upstairs, she's been slowly but surely coming upstairs by herself, and it's been a complete God thing. You know what, when I think about that verse of Joshua 1, 9, it's the same way in Nehemiah. When we look at Nehemiah, we think, you know what, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be so encouraging. We're going to rebuild the wall. It's going to be a rally cry. We're going to bring all the people together, and it's going to be a great thing. And then we look at Nehemiah chapter 5, and we see, oh, wait a minute. Look at what Nehemiah has to face. Look at what he has to go through. Oh, my goodness. So let's look here in the first few verses. Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And the first thing that we're going to hear, that we're going to see here, is he hears the outcry of the people. Well, what is that outcry? And you can see it on the screen. You can follow it in uh, your Bible or your Bible app. And verse 1, it says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Let me stop right there. It's so important. It's so s- small. It doesn't seem like much, but it's significant. Because typically, when we're talking about families, when we're talking about people, the, the Scripture uses men. It just uses it as a general term not always specific, but it's where it's talking about husband and wife, talking about their families. It says men, but here it specifically mentioned wives. Why is that? Because it wants to show you how deep and how hurtful and how uh, distraught that they were, how much difficulty that they were in. Verse 2, and it says verse 2, for there were those who said, we our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. Here, you're going to see three classes of people. You're going to have the wealthy, you're going to have the poor, and you're going to have those, I guess we would call a middle class, that have some landowners. Um, we'll see more about that. But here, you have got the poor. These are your wage earners. You're know, like most of us. We're not wealthy. If you are, then great. I can come and rub elbows with you. Um, but they're just wage earners, and typically, they're outside working in the field. All of a sudden, there's an outcry. I say, oh, wait a minute. Can, we, uh, can you help us? We don't have any food. Our kids, are, we've got a family. Our sons and daughters are many, and yet we need to go and get grain so we can eat, so we can live. They were starving. What was going on? Well, you think about it. When Nehemiah recruited everyone, they were farmers. And all of a sudden they put everything aside and they went to do exactly what God called them to do. So think about it. They're not in sin. They're not rebelling against God. They're doing exactly what God has called them to do and they're starving. We'll see in the next verse. It says in verse 3, There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of this famine. Because there were no one working in the fields, this famine arose up. And then in verse 4, it says, There were also those who said, We we've borrowed money for the king's tax at our lands and our vineyards. So they had mortgaged their lands. They had mortgaged their vineyards trying to survive. And what they were doing is they were going deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. I mean, you think about it, the only things that I can think of to actually relate it to for us to understand is here in North Carolina, we are taxed for everything, right? And you kind of wonder sometimes of how in the world could our state be in financial disarray or struggle because we're taxed for everything, right? So I kind of related that way because the tax on the people were heavy, but it's so, so much more than that. As we see in verse 5, it says... Yet now, our flesh is the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been bought into slavery. It is not our power, in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. So have you ever heard of those um, payday lending type loans? Um, You know, it's where, hey, look, you don't have money. Come see us. Give us money. You sign your paycheck over to us. And what they do is they charge this huge interest rate to where, and they really affect those that are in need, those who, you know, are having difficulty financially. And only poor people and you go and you sign your check away because you can go ahead and get money and, and pay for something right then and then they charge you this huge interest rate and when you get paid you really can't pay it all back and then you have to or if you can you got to borrow more money and it, it's like a snowball effect and this is what, what was happening. They were mortgaging their land, their vineyards, their fields to get money to be able to live and to eat. They were even so oppressed that they were selling their sons, their daughters, into slavery. And it's not just because of the king's tax, because of the Persians who were ruler then, at that time. These were the noblemen. These were Jewish, uh, wealthy Jewish individuals. And these wealthy Jewish people, I mean, you think about it. They're taking advantage of their own brothers and sisters. They're taking advantage of their own people, their own family, just so they can live in comfort, just so they can have money. If you turn over to Leviticus, uh, you have that one for me, Justin? Yeah, Leviticus 25, 35, and 36. 25, 35, 36 says, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you should help him." Like a stranger, a sojourner, that he may live with you. There is no usury or interest from him. But fear your God, that your brother may live with you. So, if you're a brother, Deuteronomy as well, please. If your brother gets in trouble, you're not supposed to take advantage of him. You're supposed to bring him in. You're supposed to help him. And here in Deuteronomy it says, "You shall not charge interest to your brother. No interest on money or food or anything that is lent out as at interest." To a foreigner you can charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge it. That the Lord your God may bless you in all that uh, in all to which you have set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. So think about it. God had given them this land, and he had make sure that, hey, you're going to follow my word, you're going to follow my commandments, or I'm going to kick you out. That's why they're in a situation that they're in. And now you've got these Jewish leaders, these Jewish wealthy people that have said, you know what, it doesn't matter. Even though God clearly has commanded them in His word to not charge interest, to not do this to your brother, to your family, to those internally, they chose to do it anyway because they just wanted to make more money. Isn't that what a lot of people do? The rich gets richer, you know, that old saying? Well, this is exactly what they were doing. So much that they were willing to put children into slavery because of the interest and the effect that it was having. So now we not only hear the outcry of the people, but then we get to see Nehemiah as he responds to this. And we see the response of righteous anger. In verse 6, it says, and this is Nehemiah talking, and I became very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. In verse 7, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and their rulers, and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury or interest from his brother. We'll stop right there. Nehemiah was ticked. He was upset, he was mad, he was angry, but it was a righteous angry anger. If you look at verse seven, it says, After serious thought. In some versions it says that I, I kind of thought to myself for a moment. There's some wisdom here. When you get upset and you get angry, instead of just sinfully lashing out, sinfully doing something that you'll regret or you said something that you shouldn't have said, what should we do? I mean, the Bible says what? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Nehemiah took a deep breath, he counted to 10. But you know what it doesn't say something in the scripture but I kind of assume that Nehemiah took some time and spent with God and said God please help me deal with this. Why? Well, because in the first few chapters that we've already looked at, multiple times Nehemiah spent time with God seeking God out making sure that his relationship with God was so important and so close so he could know exactly what God needed him to do and I am certain that Nehemiah in this circumstance, with all of this oppression going on, sought out God's counsel and wanted to know how in the world should I handle this how do you respond when you get angry it's kind of funny, I don't know all the details, I heard part of it the other night for some reason after the young adult connect group. Uh, some of them decided to hang around and that, that's a cool thing that they grew up together. Uh, you know, They know each other from way back when, but then for some reason I got thrown into the story and they were sharing stories about how when they were in school, Carson was a few years younger and one of the guys there was like, hey, yeah, yeah, and I don't know all the details, I don't remember exactly, but it was something about, along the lines of, oh yeah, we, when, uh, when we were at school, Tyler, you know, we did such and such, and we bumped into your sister, and your dad jumped out and yelled at us and got mad at us. And I don't remember exactly what happened because I don't really see me responding that way. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as I, think, as I thought about that and I was hearing the story, I was, my first thought was, me? I'm the one that's joking around. I'm the one that's laid back. I'm the one that's easygoing. And then there was a part of me that was thinking, he did my daughter? What did he do again? Can you tell me one more time? And that's how we respond. We just automatically lash out. And Nehemiah didn't respond that way. He said, you know what? We're just going to take a deep breath. We're going to think about it. We're going to pray about it. And then we're going to address it. So he has, it's a righteous anger. And then what do we see? We see because of his him hearing the outcry of the people, we see that he uh, has a righteous anger. And now he's going to act upon it. We see that. Oh, we get to watch the call to action that leads to a repentance. So at the end of verse 7, after Nehemiah talked about being angry, he said, So I called a great assembly against them. He said, Look, I caught all the fellows together. I said, Come on, we need to talk. And he addressed this one-on-one, face-to-face. In verse 8 he says, And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brother, brothers, who, brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brother? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Many times when you address someone, when you have to address someone that's in sin, they know that they are guilty because when you address it one-on-one, face-to-face, man-to-man, woman-to-woman, and they're just silent. They're just quiet because, hey, there's nothing we can say. I'm guilty. And that was their response because they knew that they were wrong. What's difficult is when... You are in a situation, and you address it. And even though they're guilty, they want to defend themselves, and they want to argue. And so you remember in Matthew, Christ tells us how to deal with uh, issues within the church. He said, if your brother has wronged you, how are you supposed to deal with it? You're supposed to just let it go? No, you're supposed to man up, go to them one-on-one in Christ's love, and address it. If that doesn't work, you take two or three with you, If that doesn't work, then you bring it before the church, right? When Nehemiah was practicing this back here in the the Old Testament, it says that he called them all together and he addressed it. And it doesn't say right away how they responded. It said that they didn't say a word. But then if we look on in verse 9, it says, then I said, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Nehemiah calls them together, then he calls others uh, together as well to make sure he addresses this, and he goes through a series of how to address it. First, they are quiet, and then he responds to them and says, Look, shouldn't you walk in the fear of God? Oh my goodness. How in the world do you walk in the fear of God? Now, I don't know about you, but a healthy fear of God is something that is foundational for us as Christians. It is kind of like the way that we love Christ. A healthy fear is a good thing because when we hear the word fear and we think we're scared or we're afraid or we just don't know what that person is going to do or how they're going to respond or how they're going to act, God loves you more than anything and I don't want to do certain things because I don't want to make him upset. I don't want to disappoint him. Growing up, I have two brothers, one older one younger. And I think I've mentioned this before. One at that time got involved with chasing girls and drinking and all sorts of things. My younger brother, he got involved with a gang and drugs and other things. And then there was me. So you've heard of the black sheep of the family. I was more of the white sheep of the family. right? So there were, there was plenty, there were plenty of opportunities for me to engage in what they were doing. So, but I chose not to. Not only because I'm a Christian and I'm like, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that. But also because I had a healthy fear of my dad. How they got away with it, how they hid it from my dad, I don't know. But I had a healthy fear of my dad. I was too afraid that not only was he going to be angry, but I was too afraid of disappointing him. And I didn't want to disappoint my dad because I had a healthy fear of that. Do you have that kind of healthy fear of God? Nehemiah looks at them and says, what you're doing is completely wrong. Can you not simply just walk in the fear of God? And in verse 10, it says, I also, with my brethren, my servants, I'm lending them money and grain. Please stop using this usury, this interest. Please stop charging them this kind of interest. Nehemiah was saying, hey, look, I've been lending them money. I've been helping them out. Why are, why are you doing this? In verse 11, it says, Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, a hundredth of the money and of the grain, the wine, the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will. We'll restore it. And we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Nehemiah called them out. And they responded in repentance. They responded and said, we'll do exactly what you say because you're exactly right. We're wrong. When someone approaches you, do you have a heart? I have to give them some credit, even though they were wrong. I mean, you think about it. Enslaving children? Really? Jeff, you're going to give them credit? Yeah. They didn't try to defend themselves. God's word said they were silent. They didn't try to argue against it. They didn't try to make themselves right. They were completely wrong. And I just wonder, are you the kind of Christian who others know that you are approachable to where if there is something wrong, something that you and I need to deal with to make right so we can make this relationship right, are you approachable? Are you automatically going to lash out in anger? Are you automatically going to lash out and say no and defend yourself? Are you walking in the fear of God? Chuck Swindoll has some excellent words for this. When God shows us a particular sin that we are guilty of, he doesn't tell us to take our time dealing with it. No, he says to deal with it now. When we realize that what we are doing is wrong, now is the time to stop it. Making long-range plans to correct a problem allows the sands of time to hone off the raw edges of God's reproof in our lives. We end up tolerating that sin and perhaps even protecting it. Such laxity greatly concerns our Lord. A prompt and thorough dealing with uh, wrong in our lives is essential. Just like in finances, it is best to keep all accounts current. From his book, Hand Me Another Brick. He's saying when you've got an issue, when you've got a problem, when do you deal with it? Let's just don't. Let, Jeff, let's just sit back and let's figure out three ways to deal with this. Oh, no, let, let's take ten steps and let's, see how, and let's deal with this later on. No, deal with it now. If there is a sin, if there is a problem, if there is an issue, deal with it now. Why do you think we have an invitation at the end of our services? So when God speaks to your heart, you just don't sit on it, think about it, wait on it. No, you respond and you deal with it now. Period. In a discussion. Something similar to where we practiced with our kids early on, not that it always worked, but when they were very little, when they were two or so and they were walking, we would practice first-time obedience. And what we would do is say, oh, yeah, how about going and uh, and getting that ball? And they would go and get it and bring it back to us. Oh, good, good. Go and get this other toy. And then they would go and get it and bring it back to us. And what we were teaching them, trying to teach them and train them, is that when mom or dad asks you to do something, we call it first-time obedience. And they would go and do it right then. They wouldn't question us. I heard a story of missionaries who were across in a very dangerous area and the mom was there that day and the kids were outside playing in the yard and she saw some some gunmen who were there and they were getting ready to shoot across at something else across their backyard and she told her kids, kids, drop, drop to the ground now and they obeyed her as the gun was shot across the field. You know why? Because they didn't wait, they didn't sit there and say, mom, why do you want me to do this? They didn't argue and say, Really? Now? What in the world for? To protect their lives, she told them to drop now, and they did so in first-time obedience because they knew their mom, the instruction, the love, the care that she had for them, and they responded immediately. Christians, non-Christians, if God is speaking you to this, mor- this morning, in any way, something that you need to deal with, whether it be salvation or whether it be a sin that you need to repent of, are you going to deal with it now? Or are you just going to wait? Are you going to respond with first time obedience when your heavenly Abba, Father who loves you, who cares for you, how are you going to respond? We not only got to see, get to see how. Nehemiah's call to action led to repentance. But then we get to see in the last few verses where Nehemiah put into practice what he preached. In verse 14, well, let me back up to verse 13. We didn't cover that one. It says, Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property, who does not perform this promise. Even thus he may be shaken out and emptied, and all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord, and the people did according to this promise. Nehemiah was having a more of a visual effect as he was there calling them to repentance and took his robe and shook it out and said, Just like I'm shaking anything out here, if you don't do exactly what you committed to, if you don't keep your promise, I pray that God will take you and shake you out until you have nothing left. And then in verse 14, Nehemiah responds and says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Xerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brother ate the governor's provisions. Here, you have to understand, Nehemiah as the governor, he is giving daily provisions to have food, to have needs, to have those things taken care of. And Nehemiah said, for 12 years, I didn't take it. I didn't do so. Why? Let's keep reading. It says, but the former governors, those who were before me, who uh, were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread, wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I didn't do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. Indeed, I continued the work on this wall, and we didn't buy any land. We didn't try to uh, pursue ourselves, or, or make ourselves even richer. All of my servants were gathered there also for the work. In verse 17, you think about it. Nehemiah said, "Look, I've been given these provisions. I didn't take anything. The burden of the people were too great, so I use this. I use my own money. I use my own supplies. And in verse 17, what do you do with it? It says that my table were 150 Jews rulers beside those who came to us from the nations around us." now that when which was repaired daily so nehemiah was feeding 150 plus people daily out of his own provisions not out of, out of something that was allotted to him and what was provided it says daily was one ox six choice sheep Fowl were also prepared for me, and once every ten days of abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage uh, was so heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah practiced what he preached. He, he didn't just talk about it. He actually put it into action. And he began to explain to them, look, I've been given an allotment. I didn't take it. The burden on the people were too great. They were already paying too much tax. They were already, paying, uh, they were already too, much, too far in debt. I didn't want to increase it. So I took care of these things myself. Now think about it. Feeding 150 people with an ox, six sheep, fowl, and doing that every single day of made me wonder. Nehemiah, you didn't need any provisions. (laughs) I mean, think about it. To have that kind of livestock, I mean, it was incredible. But you can see how God blessed him. Why? Because he was a man of character and integrity. Because he had a healthy fear of God. That he could abide in Christ through any kind of opposition, whether external or internal. Church, if we stay close to Christ and we follow him, it doesn't matter what comes our way. Whether your daughter cannot walk, whether your wife is in the bed with migraines that we've been dealing with for years, some of you who have other issues that are much far greater than what I've shared and what you're going through, you know what? If you have a healthy fear of God, he will still take care of you. But we, in the middle of any type of opposition, whether times are good or times are bad, need to remain people of character and integrity and handle ourselves the right way. Why did Nehemiah do this? Because he had a fear of God. Because that type of fear, that healthy fear, that love for God that he had is foundational in his life, and you can see it. Christians, do you realize that the world places Christianity and looks at us as Christians differently than some of us do. They look at Christians and think of us or you as a living to a higher standard than even what we do. Many of us, we look at the world even though they expect us to be different, but many Christians are eager to impress the world with their similarities in thinking and behavior. But Jesus He didn't permit any expectations such as that. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, this is Jesus' expectations of you and I as Christians. He says that you, you as Christians, you are the salt of the earth. The salt loses its flavor. flavor. How should it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. But you, you Christians, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Christians, we are called to live to a different standard. We are called to live differently. How did Nehemiah live? He practiced what he preached. And because of the way he lived and he practiced what he preached and others around him could see that, he was able to call them out and lead them to repentance. And he was able to do that because he heard the outcry of the people and was able to respond in a righteous anger. If you look at our world today, does it make you angry? Does it upset you to know that we have family, coworkers, friends, neighbors who are dying and going to hell? Does it make you upset at all? Or are we too busy living our comfortable lives that we don't want to deal with it? God has called us as a church plant to do what? To reach this city. To reach Durham for what? to reach Durham, to teach them, to tell them about the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, are you doing your part? Just like Nehemiah knew that God called him to rebuild the wall, we know that we as a church plant, God has called you and I to tell others. Are you telling? Are you living in such a way that when you do, they know that you mean it? because you live differently. I hope and pray that you have that kind of healthy fear of God, that it doesn't matter what comes, whether good times or bad times, that you are focused on fulfilling His call and abiding in Christ. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages, thank you.